Hello, and welcome to the Allen & Overy podcast. My name is Rose Hall, and I head up business development for our technology group. Today, I'm joined by Michelle Wong and James Reed, both of whom are associates in our New York office practicing in our IP litigation team. The focus of this podcast is blockchain. We're going to talk about the development of the technology, and we're also going to talk about the potential opportunities and IP risks associated with digital ledgers. So let's dive right in. Michelle, what exactly is blockchain? Before getting into the nuts and bolts of blockchain technology, which James will explain in a little bit, I think it's helpful to start with the theory behind blockchain. In 2015, an article from The Economist described blockchain technology as the trust machine. And this is a very apt description because at a fundamental level, blockchain enables people who have no particular trust in each other to conduct business together with confidence that the information they're exchanging is accurate and accessible. So you talked about people who have no particular trust in each other. How does blockchain achieve that level of trust among strangers? Because blockchain is a way to share information across a group of users, where each user is free to access and inspect the information. But the information isn't controlled by a single user. Instead, each user is responsible for maintaining the integrity of the information and the blockchain itself. So, Michelle, can you explain how this is different from how people traditionally transact with each other without blockchain technology? Certainly. So let's take a hypothetical, say you have to replace a broken part in your car. To do this without blockchain, you would most likely have to call a bunch of repair shops and ask a series of questions in order to find out if the repair shop could in fact repair your car. These would be questions like, does your shop have the right replacement part? Is the replacement part certified? Can your technicians install the part? And so on and so forth. And this line of questioning would continue or not, until you felt confident enough to trust one of these repair shops, purchase the replacement part, and hire the shop to install it. And the problem with this method of conducting business is that one party has all of the information, the repair shop. The only way you can verify the information is by asking questions and trusting that the repair shop is answering your questions truthfully. So with blockchain technology, you're saying that because this information is contained in a blockchain or in multiple blockchains, you yourself can access, inspect and verify the information without having to contact a bunch of repair shops in the first place. Correct. And it is this accessing, inspecting and verifying that gives you the confidence and trust that the repair shop can fix your car. And it is this ability to create confidence and trust that makes blockchain technology so appealing to a wide variety of people, businesses, industries and governments. Thanks, Michelle. So, James, let me turn to you and ask you to take us through how blockchain achieves all of this trust. Great. So let's start off at a high level with four important goals of blockchain technology. Permanence, shared, transparency, and security. So should we take those four goals one at a time? Let's start with permanence. Sure. So blockchain achieves permanence by making it mathematically and computationally infeasible to modify information that has been successfully added to the blockchain. This characteristic of blockchain creates trust because people know that information already added to the blockchain cannot be changed, either by mistake or intentionally. Okay, and shared? So, as mentioned by Michelle, by definition, information in a blockchain is shared across a network of users, each responsible for maintaining the integrity of the information and the blockchain itself. This sharing is important as it enables individual users to inspect and verify the information for themselves, without having to trust the other party or an intermediary. 
Okay, so that makes sense. And, and the third, I think, was transparency. Yes. So blockchains are transparent because they contain the entire history of the information from the inception of the blockchain to present. This allows anyone accessing a blockchain to go back in time and verify and trace the information for themselves. And finally, we had secure. Right. So traditional means of keeping sensitive information secure typically involve keeping that information in a single secure location. Now, this enabled high security, but it also created a single point of failure if the security was ever compromised. Information in a blockchain is secured in a fundamentally different way. When information is shared and stored across a network and not a central location, there is not a single point of failure. Instead, each user across the network is responsible for maintaining the integrity of the information. Thanks, James. So at a high level, blockchain creates trust by allowing the sharing of information across a network in a permanent, transparent and secure fashion. That's really helpful background on the technology, but it's quite theoretical. Can we get down into the nuts and bolts of how the blockchain technology actually works? Absolutely. And so to help understand blockchain technology, it's useful to look at what existed before blockchain. So before blockchain, there was this concept of distributed ledgers. And this technology is pretty much what it sounds like. It's a ledger, which is really just a database or any collection of data that is shared across a network of users. Let's take a simple example of a distributed ledger where the information is shared across a network of three banks. So in this simple example, each bank has its own copy of the ledger. As new information is created and new transactions occur, each bank is responsible for updating their version of the ledger to include the new information. Let's say bank one updates its ledger once an hour. And let's say bank two updates its ledger once a day. And bank three, it updates its ledger once a week. And so for a distributed ledger to operate successfully, it becomes necessary to periodically update the ledger across the entire network to ensure that each bank's local version is accurate. Now, part of this updating process is called reaching a consensus. So let me guess, reaching consensus sounds like a simple theory, but maybe has some issues in real life application. Exactly. And as it turns out, reaching consensus across a network of users became a difficult problem to solve. And let's imagine another hypothetical where you're selling your car, but you're a bad actor and you actually sold your car twice, first on Monday and then again on Tuesday. Now in the network of the three banks, which bank realizes that you've sold your car twice? So that would be banks one and two, right? And not bank three. That's right. So only banks one and two updated their ledger before you sold your car the second time because bank one updates its ledger once an hour and bank two updates its ledger once a day. But because bank three only updates its ledger once a week, that bank will not realize that the car has been sold twice. So clearly this becomes a problem when it becomes necessary to update the ledger across the network. Absolutely. In our hypothetical, because of the actions of one bad actor, the banks in the network will have different versions of the ledger. This makes it difficult for the users of the network to determine which version is the correct version. And this problem became known as the consensus problem. So what's the solution to the consensus problem? Blockchain. Obviously. And so in 2008, a white paper was published anonymously, and the concepts put forth in that paper purported to solve the distributed ledger consensus problem. And this eventually became known as blockchain. And at its core, this solution involves structuring data being added to the ledger into discrete blocks of information. Okay, what makes up one of these discrete blocks of information? To be considered a block, the structured data needs at least four attributes. First, 
the blocks must be created at defined time intervals across the entire network. Second, each block contains the data and transactional information generated during that defined time period. Third, using the collected data and transactional information, each block contains a unique identification number that is tagged to the data, such that if any change is made to the data, the identification number will change drastically and be easily noticed. Fourth and finally, when a new block is created, the block contains the unique identification code of the previous block, which links the new block back to its previous, which itself is linked to its predecessor, which is also linked to its predecessor, which forms a chain. Okay, so those are the main pieces of information each block in a blockchain must include. How then is this information used in the blockchain? So blockchains function by requiring users in the network to construct a block with the information I just described. Once this information is calculated and the time period is finished, a user may transmit a new block across the network to be voted upon by other users in the network. If enough users in the network verify and reach a consensus on the accuracy of the new block, then each user in the network updates their respective blockchain. Then the whole process starts over again. Information is collected, a unique identification code is generated, a new block is created, the network votes, and if a consensus is reached, then the new block is added. Now, of course, there's much more going on behind the scenes and different blockchains implement this process in different ways. But at a high level, this is how blockchain technology operates. Brilliant. So we have a really great image now of the chain of blocks of information. And I wondered if we could pivot slightly to smart contracts, which is something I often hear about in connection with blockchains. James, tell us, what are smart contracts? The phrase smart contracts is kind of a misnomer as smart contracts are not necessarily smart or contracts. What they involve are translating the terms and conditions of an agreement into computer code. This computer code is capable of receiving information as input and then uses that input to determine if the terms and conditions of the agreement are met. If the terms are met, then the smart contract will execute by itself with little to no human interaction. And how do smart contracts get used in blockchains? So in a smart contract blockchain, the information recorded into each block has increased functionality that enables the smart contract computer code to receive input and execute the contract when the conditions are met. So maybe you can play that back to us in the context of a specific example to make it easier to understand. Sure. Let's take Michelle's earlier hypothetical of repairing your car, but now your car is an autonomous vehicle. And in this hypothetical, both you and your car have certain conditions for the repair. Your car knows which part it needs and that the part needs to be certified. And you, as the owner of the car, don't want to pay more than $500 for the repair. Because your car is an autonomous vehicle, it can use those conditions to generate a smart contract. With this smart contract in hand, your car can then send out its repair job to a repair shop's blockchain or to a blockchain associated with a larger group of repair shops. Once uploaded and recorded into a blockchain, the smart contract will receive input and information from that blockchain and potentially other blockchains. Once the conditions of that smart contract are met, the contract executes and your car gets repaired and you don't pay more than $500. Amazing, James. You've given us a really succinct overview of blockchain and smart contract technology, including their goals and their functionality. And I'm just gonna test myself and be sure I've been listening. I've heard three different takeaways. The first is that blockchain technology represents a way of sharing information across the network of users where each user is free to access, inspect, and verify the information. 
The second is that sharing and transparency of this information is what ensures the integrity of the information. And finally, the third, this enables in turn users of blockchain to trust and have confidence that the information is accurate. Is that correct? That's exactly it. You got it. Okay. So with all of that in mind, I want to switch gears a bit again and go back to Michelle to talk more about IP. So Michelle, we've had a lot of innovation in blockchain in a relatively short period of time, and lots of people have piled into the market. It's clear from our hypotheticals that blockchain has considerable versatility when deployed to deliver digital information. My question is, what does this look like from an IP perspective? Can you get IP protection, and in particular patent protection, for blockchain technology innovation? The short answer, Rose, is yes, you can patent this technology, but it depends where you are. For example, in Europe, it's pretty hard to get a patent on a blockchain innovation because in Europe, business methods are per se not patentable. Europe also has high bars to patenting software or a computer-based system or method. In Asia and the US, while there are certainly hurdles you need to get over, patenting this tech is more doable. The long answer is, of course, much more nuanced, but the big takeaway here is that general difference in the ease of patentability across jurisdictions. Nonetheless, there have been plenty of patent applications filed on blockchain tech. That's interesting, and that's definitely been my impression too. What sort of volumes of patent application filings are we talking about worldwide? Well, if you look from 2008, which is the year that the anonymous white paper published, to 2018, in just those 10 years, you go from less than 100 patent applications being filed in 2008 to over 4,600 patent applications being filed in 2018. And actually, in the first half of that 10-year period, from 2008 to 2013, you have less than 100 patent applications being filed each year. So really, it's after that, starting in 2014, where you have just this explosion in the number of blockchain patent application filings, where from year to year, the number of filed applications either doubles or triples. And what's the implication of having so many patent applications in this space? That there is certainly risk to you if you're utilizing this technology in your business. One of the scary things about patent infringement is that when it comes to infringing a patent, not knowing about the patent is not a defense. But if you did know about the patent and still decided to go forward with a product that is later found to infringe, then the amount of damages can actually be trebled. With that in mind, looking at the blockchain patent landscape, you in essence have a minefield of thousands of patent applications that can each turn into a patent, and each of those patent holders can sue you for patent infringement. Because again, not knowing about a patent is not a defense to patent infringement. Now, on the flip side, if you have your own portfolio of blockchain patents, then that, of course, gives you the ability to sue others. So who out there is filing all these blockchain patent applications? Well, if you look at the top 10 companies that have filed the most blockchain patent applications, you'll find that these companies are in various industries. For example, in this top 10 group, you have Alibaba Group, Tencent, Pingon Insurance, and IBM. The top 10 companies are also all over the globe with a concentration in China. So these are the companies to keep an eye on? Well, yes and no. If you add up the number of blockchain patent applications filed by just the top 10 players, then you still have only a fraction of the total number of patent applications in this space. I see. So what you're saying is that we've got lots of big players in the space, but actually there are also a lot of smaller players. Exactly. And the smaller players have a patent portfolio that, while smaller in size, can be asserted just as easily as these bigger portfolios held by the bigger players. So what can we conclude about the blockchain patent landscape? 
overall, blockchain is a risky field. You have lots of players in the space, big and small and in between, and lots of patents that are risks to you. Your patent portfolio, if you have one, can be a risk for others. So that's the blockchain patent landscape. And out of interest, so how does the blockchain patent landscape compare to other advanced technologies, say like artificial intelligence or augmented or virtual reality? So I'm going to group AR and VR together into one landscape for ease. That patent landscape and also the patent landscape for AI looks similar to the blockchain patent landscape, which is not too surprising given that blockchain and these other technologies often come up together. For AI, if you look at that same 10-year span we looked at before from 2008 to 2018, the number of AI-related patent applications per year has more than tripled from just under 23,000 applications in 2008 to over 78,000 applications in 2018. For VR and AR patent applications, in 2010, you have just under 5,500 applications being filed. This grows steadily over the years to 2018, when you have just over 32,000 applications being filed. And who out there is filing these patent applications for AI and AR and VR? The top 10 companies that have filed the most patent applications in these two landscapes is actually almost identical. And again, if you look at these top 10 companies, you'll find that they are in various industries. For example, in this top 10 group, you have Microsoft, IBM, Samsung, Qualcomm, and Google. And again, like the blockchain patent landscape, in the AI patent landscape and the AR and VR patent landscape, you have tens of thousands of applications per year, with only a fraction of the eventual patents held by the big player companies. So it sounds like we have a similar takeaway here compared to the blockchain patent landscape, right? Exactly. The AI space and the AR and VR space are risky ones full of many patents held by not just big players, but many smaller players. Okay, so to wrap up, there are a lot of patents being filed in these technologies by a very diverse group of patent filers, diverse both in terms of geography and industry and actually size as well. Presumably that makes for a complex environment to navigate, both in terms of asserting and protecting your own intellectual property rights, and also in terms of the risk of running afoul of others' rights. For a final question, what are your parting thoughts on this? What should clients actually be doing to minimize these risks? Clients should keep in mind that blockchain technology and other technologies like AI and AR and VR are developing rapidly. And on top of that, the line between what is and is not protectable by intellectual property is complex and depends on the jurisdiction. As such, it's necessary for clients to not only have a firm understanding of their IP and how they are using these technologies, but also the contours of the IP landscapes for each. James, what about you? Final thoughts? Absolutely agree with Michelle. And to emphasize her point about how quickly these technologies are evolving, I'll close with one last comment specific to blockchain's technology evolution. Only five years ago, blockchain was really just limited to a handful of cryptocurrencies. Now we are seeing large financial institutions providing services and products that utilize this technology, along with countries creating their own digital currencies using blockchain technology. And finally, smart cities are being designed on this as well. So we're seeing this technology develop in real time. Thank you both so much for your insights. This has been a really good session, both as a blockchain primer, but also as an introduction to the IP considerations in blockchain. I'm sure there is plenty more we could have explored on the topic, so we'll have to regroup another day. Thanks, Rose. Thank you, Rose.